In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Tonight we have a very exciting, uh, action-packed episode for you. We will start off by asking a deep question. And that's just to check in and ask, Republicans, are you doing okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we'll talk about, yeah, some of the the crazier stuff that's been coming out of the Republican Party um, recently. And then our second segment will focus on the gender wage gap um break that down have a discussion about it and finally we're going to have a conversation about the ways in which the quote-unquote culture war um which republicans have been attempting to wage for a long time is very much a distraction from um kind of like the deeper issues that are you know plaguing the republican party yep and I am excited to be back. I probably am going to sound a little bit uh, congested because I had a cold last week because my body cannot catch a break. <laughs> so we ended up having <laughs> yeah, to take uh, we ended up having to take another slight break. And uh, now now my now I got my wife sick and she's in the other room and she's kind of pissed Great. at me for that. Um, but we are we are back and we are. Excited. Knock on I, I, wood, we'll be here yeah. again over yeah. the coming weeks. Um, speaking of getting sick, Michael, mm-hmm. what yeah. are the COVID numbers? Oh, man, so glad you asked. So worldwide, we've hit 511 million cases, which is up from 508 million last week. So that's 3 million new cases in a week, or about 430,000 new cases per day, which is down almost 40% from two weeks ago when we last recorded. Um, In terms of death, we've hit 6.25 million deaths worldwide, which is up from 6.24 million the week before. So that's 10,000 new deaths in a week, or about 1,400 deaths per day, which is down 52% from two weeks ago. In terms of vaccination, we're at 66.8 of uh, the world's population with at least one dose, uh, which is up from just 66.4% at the time of the last record. So literally like only 0.4% increase in two weeks. So that's kind of sad. In the U.S., we've hit 82.82 million cases, which is up from 82.58 million the week before. So that's 240,000 new cases in a week or about 34,000 new cases per day. Um, which is actually up a little bit from 28,000 cases uh, per day two weeks ago. But in terms of death, um, on that daily death rate, we've actually made some progress. So we've reached 1.019 million deaths, which is up from 1.018 million the week before. So that's just 1,000 new deaths in a week, which is 142 deaths per day. So that's down 53% from two weeks ago. And in terms of vaccination rate in the U.S., uh, 77% have one dose, 66% have two doses, and 30% are boosted, which is exactly the same spot we were in two weeks ago. Hmm. 
So, some good news. Yeah. I mean, in terms of death, like, the improved numbers in, in terms of daily death is just really encouraging. Yeah. Worldwide, if down 52% from two weeks ago, 53% down in the U.S. Like, that's a big improvement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unambiguously good there. So, let's try to keep it that way. Speaking of improvement, or in this case, lack thereof, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about what's wrong with Republicans right now. <laughs> yeah. The Republican, like leaders in the Republican Party um, have been doing crazy shit for decades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's not like, you know, but yeah. the, like over the past few couple of years, like it's been way over the top. Yeah. And at this point, like it's just like a like a clown car of yeah. just ridiculous garbage and they're just throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And it's just, it blows my mind that like these are, these are like representative views of a party that has a good chance of controlling the government. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want to take a second to talk directly to any conservatives or Republicans that might be listening. Yeah. First off, congratulations. I mean, you've probably had to deal with a lot of shit that we fling. And so, so, I mean, so, congratulations on just living. Yeah, just, just, just living while you listen to us because yeah. they're, they're, we probably piss you off a lot. But hey, are you okay? I mean, I, I mean that Could sincerely. You imagine? Yeah. I just, yeah. I literally mean that sincerely. I know that, I know that it's been rough. You know, you were in love with Trump and he left you and he got replaced with your awkward stepdad that's just, you know, embarrassing and finger gunny and like you want to believe that he's evil <laughs> incarnate but he's just kind of boring and no matter how hard you try to yeah, prove he's just that not he's quite, evil incarnate quite effective enough yeah, yeah exactly like he's 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 not he's he's definitely not great but like you just you want to hate him so much more than he deserves to be hated and you just <laughs> you just you're so pissed off at the fact that when you had Trump you know Every single day, you could just trigger the libs, trigger the libs. It was it was so much fun. And now you got Biden that even the libs don't really like. So you try mm. to say stuff like, oh, let's go, Brandon. I offended you. And it's like, no, we're not offended because we don't really like him that much either. So you're trying to figure <laughs> out, how do I offend the libs? And I, I understand that must be really difficult. But, but bro, I'm worried about you. I'm seriously worried mm. about you. Like, f- the first story that I want to talk about is... Uh, Ball tanning. <laughs> yeah, just that's just a really a phrase I never thought yeah. I'd read or hear, and certainly one I'd never say. Yeah. So 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 first off, um apparently, according to Tucker Carlson, there's this huge issue with a lack of testosterone among men in the United States. And that issue has led to men being more liberal, more progressive. Mm. And there are a lot of ways in which you can try to fix that. He showed that there was this uh, commercial for a documentary that he shot where it was a bunch of guys doing some really macho stuff, a lot of which was a little bit homoerotic, which I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if he, I'm not sure if he realized that. Uh, there was one image of a guy that was Nathan, milking a cow. What is more testosterone? 
than two dudes. It's just science. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. Like th- there was one, there was one where there was this guy milking a cow without a pail. So I guess, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess real men, real men waste milk. No, no, no. Real men (laughs) sip the milk off of the ground. That's Ah, what real men do. Okay, okay. But the the cups are for women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want a cup? Should I fill it up with estrogen? (laughs) That must be what he's saying. The final thing that everybody's talking about is there's a there's a picture, and I got to tell you, when I first saw this picture, when I first saw this picture. I thought that it was a joke. I thought so. What I thought happened was that maybe Tucker Carlson made a passing reference in one of his segments to ball tanning, and like a bunch of liberals saw mm-hmm. that and were like, "That's funny." And so they started using. They they found a picture of some naked dude standing on a rock, having his testicles tanned, and they 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 put that up to make fun of Tucker Carlson. That's what I seriously thought the first time I saw this picture. And then I watched but the we actual just pause and say, we just pause and say, like, how does one make a passing reference to ball tanning? Anyway? I don't <laughs> like, know. Even that's I off don't the know. End. OK, I thought maybe like, I don't know, he was spitballing or something. I, that's mm. I, anyway. No, th- that picture came from this commercial. And he was he was talking to some guy who is apparently uh, an expert in what they call. Uh, how do you how do you say this? Bromeopathy. Or whatever. Which is a made-up word, by the way. Which is a made-up word. So yeah. I, I guess, I guess, who's to say he's not an expert in it? Um, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but, but who, who was basically saying that one way of replacing testosterone is to tan your balls? Yeah, he, he said, "quote If you want to optimize and take it to another level, expose yourself to red light therapy. It's testicle tanning." but it's also full body red light therapy, which is a massive amount of benefits. And there's so much data out there that isn't even being picked up or covered. Note that last bit we've talked about before, which is when you make an outrageous claim that something is a fact, the best way to convince a, a you know conspiracy theorist type, anti-media type that it's true is to say that they're not covering it. Just say, yeah. just to like point yeah. that out that like that's like a common trope of trying to convince people that a conspiracy theory is true. Yeah. Hey, you know, Michael, um, something that the media hasn't been covering is that another way of uh, enhancing your testosterone is to take two stones and just beat your testicles with them. <laughs> oh, that is what really creates testosterone. But you, the media will never say that. I guarantee you, no media company, no no corporate media company <laughs> ever has said. ever said that. Yep, you're absolutely right. So, so Tucker Carlson responded to this claim going, quote, so obviously half the viewers are like, what? Testicle tanning? That's crazy. But what my view is, is okay, testosterone levels have crashed and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. So why is it crazy to seek solutions? Yeah. And look, have has there been a decrease in testosterone yeah, a little bit. Like, and and again, I don't mean that in terms of like a people are less manly. I mean that in terms like literally, there has been a decrease in testosterone levels mm-hmm. uh, within and like the United count. States and yep. and sperm count within the United States, which could be attributed to a lot of different things, a um, lot of stuff. And yeah. doctors, real experts, not doctors in bromeopathy, <laughs> attribute it to things like diet, 
obesity, yeah. lack of exercise, binge drinking, yeah. like all stuff that doesn't involve any type of direct testicle treatment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what's hilarious about this. So there's a, there's this idea that testosterone is the male hormone and estrogen Ridiculous. is the female hormone. That's just, it is true that males tends to have more testosterone and females tend to have more estrogen, but both of them have both. And you know what happens when you have an excess of testosterone? It turns into estrogen. So there's, the, mm. there's been this weird thing that people politically motivated, that men who are politically motivated have been doing, where they've been injecting themselves with testosterone, even if they have a normal level of testosterone. And what happens is that that testosterone, because it's an excess, turns into estrogen and they start growing boobs. <laughs> Man, that's almost like a D-bag. <laughs> Man. Yeah, there, so like, there are legitimate uh, reasons to take testosterone if you actually have a deficiency. Yeah. But like as a political maneuver, it's just stupid. Yeah, it's just like so so it I don't even know what to say. It's like <laughs> Republic like Tucker Carlson is is like the most watched cable news show. Yeah. And and like all he's doing is trying to pedal garbage to be fair like this is pretty on brand he peddles yeah. political garbage every night and this is just i guess what like yeah medical and, garbage too and here's the weird thing like you you've if, if you've listened to the show before you've heard me say tucker carlson knows what he's doing yeah like he he's not like a lot of the other commentators they're just fucking idiots like he's not like sean hannity who's just a fucking idiot yeah. tucker carlson is meticulous he knows what he's doing and if he's doing this it's because he thinks that it's actually going to like it's actually going to make a meaningful impact on his culture war agenda and the scarier part should be the concern that he might be right <laughs> yeah that this type of shit might actually be effective on a certain segment of the population. Yeah. Which again, brings us to the idea of, Hey, conservatives, Republicans, are you okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried about you. You know why yeah. I'm also worried, Michael? Why? Because apparently math is mm. too anti-racist. Yeah. I get that though. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a growing problem in the United States where arithmetic uh sounds like anti-racist and so it has to be banned. Sorry kids. Yep. You don't yep. get to learn math. Yep. So the Florida Department of Education announced Friday that the state rejected 54 math books citing references to critical race theory, um common core teaching and SEL, which is social and emotional learning. So I actually had never heard of uh, SEL prior to prior to researching this. Yeah, I mean, um, so apparently it's um, it's supposed to be a learning concept that's focused on teaching students to manage their emotions, to develop empathy, to solve problems and to make decisions, according to the Tampa Bay Times. So obviously a bunch of left wing garbage. Like they have, yeah. Republicans have apparently gotten to the point 
where teaching empathy is left-wing propaganda. Mm -hmm. You think I'm joking. So uh, The Hill obtained some examples from some of the books that were banned um, from, from Florida. And one of the examples, which was supposed, this was supposed to be an example of, um, of SEL. One of the examples was literally just um, a, a math word problem in which a, a child was trying to figure out how to support a friend who was worried about crossing a bridge in a jungle and they were trying to solve that problem by instilling confidence in his friend. Hmm. That is left-wing propaganda. <laughs> That's because real <laughs> men don't need empathy. We just need <laughs> guns. <laughs> like, that, that shit was in yeah. one of the books that was banned. And yeah. that, that is supposed to be an example of SEL. Yeah. Like, and here, let me, let me, let me talk about how they're, um, uh, how they're trying to frame this. Um, so Chris Rufo, who's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, said, quote, the intention of SEL is to soften children at an emotional level, reinterpret their normative behavior as an expression of repression, whiteness, or internalized racism, and then to rewire their behavior according to the dictates of left-wing ideology. Jeez. So literally teaching empathy is rewiring your kids to support left-wing ideology. And that's why, that's why some of these are banned. Well, Nathan, if we cared about other people, we would pass Medicare for all and a higher minimum wage and free college tuition. Nathan. Well, what, <laughs> I mean, what's interesting is they're kind of telling on themselves. Yes, they are. Like... They totally are. We have to prevent our, we have to make our kids callous to the suffering of others in order to preserve like the Republican ideology. Yeah. Yeah. It's, one it's of, remarkable. One, and one of the examples of, of CRT was uh, apparently there was this one um, there's this one math problem uh, that was talking about so the subject was about polynomials and it was asking about uh, a racial implicit bias uh, test and it was asking it was basically using that as an example to look at the score on the test um, on the on the test average based on racial bias so it was literally acknowledging the existence of implicit bias was enough to get it banned, which is one mm. of the things that we talked about. Yeah. Like CRT is not taught at an elementary school level, but what we do want to be taught at an elementary school level is about the existence of implicit bias, not to shame children, yep. but to make sure they're aware of it. So, yeah. you know, obviously you need to do it in a way that you're not trying to, make kids feel like they're responsible for something that happened 150 years ago, but sure. you still need to make sure that they, they know that those biases can exist. They know uh, what might be causing those biases so that they can try to not, so that those biases don't set in at such a young age. Yeah. But apparently math is too anti-racist for these clowns. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's remarkable. So, so 54 of the 132 textbook submissions. So the school districts submit textbooks for their curriculum and 54 of the 132 were rejected 41%, which is the highest rate of rejection in Florida's history. 
And if you look at it by grade level, 70% of math material for kindergartners through fifth grade was rejected. <laughs> like, that is mind-blowing. And, and some of these, so some of these districts, so what the, the Department of Education said was that no district is, you know, without a math book for any grade that is, you know, available for their use that, that meets their standards. But the problem is some of these districts don't have like physical math books. So it requires an internet connection to uh, like to get there, to like get the, the material. So it's like another example of how this culture war BS that Republicans in Florida are trying to instill in laws, like it is, it has total blinders on it. It has no actual like interest in, in helping children learn at yeah. all. It hurts kids and they're just totally blind to it. Yeah, they're not trying to solve actual problems. They're just trying to virtual signal to their base. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the social so so some of those books were rejected for Common Core. So that's like that's like a methodology methodology for solving arithmetic. Um, yeah, and look, like that's okay, what fine. that's like a reason yeah. why you might reject a math book. Yeah. But the social emotional learning learning and the the critical race theory stuff just absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. Especially with the social and emotional learning, like it's focused on helping these kids cope with stress. Yeah. Especially in the face of like, you know, the impact of COVID-19 kids are the, the Republicans would be the first to tell you that kids are behind on their schools and try, their schooling and trying to catch up. And yet like teaching them how to cope with stress and show yeah. empathy for each other is enough to get a book banned or, you know, removed from the list of available, you know, books. Yeah. Um, so, so the collaborative, just, just to like talk about this SEL thing, the collaborative for academic, social, and emotional learning defines SEL as, quote, young people and adults have a, uh, acquire and apply knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve personal and collective goals and feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain support relationships, uh, supportive relationships, and make uh, responsible and caring decisions. All good stuff. Yeah. And to Nathan's point, critical race theory is not taught <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at these at this uh, at this yeah. level of school. It's like yeah, it it blows me away. <laughs> so once again, I ask Republicans, are you okay? Yeah, like they're okay. You can talk to me. I know that you've been taught to repress your emotions. I know that you've been taught that empathy is bad, but I'm really trying to empathize with you. You know? Yeah. Another crazy thing that happened. Um, so uh, Charlie Kirk, one of our, one of our favorite mm -hmm. asshats, one of our favorite commentators, uh, Charlie Kirk, he had an interesting theory about why inflation exists. Like why inflation has been so bad, has been running so rampant. And you know what he you know what it is, Michael? You know what he said? Oh, what? What is He's, it? Supply side. You know what? He he, he did not mention uh, the supply chain. Um, no, no, no. He said um, mm -hmm. it's because of trans people. Oh, yeah. Or at least uh -huh. the ideology behind transness. Um, so so he was so he was on uh, he was on an episode of his show. In which he was trying, he was making the argument that the trans issue is just an issue of reality. All right. So, so he said, quote, 
And one of the reasons why we've been so insistent against this idea you can change your gender or change your sex or change both of them is that when you start to indulge in the belief that you can become whatever you want and reality is subjective, not objective, you're going to have ramifications that nobody anticipated or intended. And he said, and, and after that, um, he compared that to inflation. He said, quote, there is a direct connection to inflation and the trans issue. You say, Charlie, come on. They can't be further apart. No, they're, the, they're exactly the same. They're the same in this aspect. When you believe that men can become women, why wouldn't you also believe that you could print wealth? <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Bro. Oh, man. So he managed to make himself sound like a fucking idiot on both inflation and trans issues at the same time. So first off, the, the, this the what he, the point he's trying to make about inflation is there's been this there's been this attempt on the right to say that the reason why inflation exists is because of the stimulus package that Biden put out. All right, the checks that he cut out yeah. to to average Americans that is what caused the inflation. Now, could that have had maybe a small impact? Perhaps. It's very possible. Sure. But inflation is happening all over the world. Like gas prices yeah. are going up all over the world. So are you trying to say that the stimulus package and that was passed in the United States is affecting gas prices in Britain? <laughs> yeah. And it's an incredible amount of inflation as well. Like just yeah. like way beyond what a stimulus package could drive. And kind of regardless of this, it was the right thing to do at the time, yeah. regardless of the impact on inflation. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, also, couldn't, it couldn't account for this level of inflation, certainly not all over the world. And even if it did, it would have been the right move. Also, if you ask actual economists, they, were t they will tell you, plain and simple, in no uncertain terms, the cause of inflation, of the current inflation, is the supply chain issues brought upon by global shortages because of the pandemic that is what's yeah. causing it all right and and it's 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 only exacerbated by the war in ukraine and all the sanctions on russia because we've been sanctioning russia mm. we've been cutting off trade with russia and we import a lot of oil and and gas from them all right we import fossil fuels from russia yeah so that also has made yeah. has made like the price of of gas and oil skyrocket which in turn increases the issue with the the supply chain because it costs more to transport stuff from from one country to another or from one state to another so so i think a more appropriate application of charlie kirk's terrible reasoning is that if you can pretend that a man or if you can say that a man can become a woman then you can pretend that inflation was caused by the stimulus <laughs> <laughs> but that 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 but that's that's the other funny thing about this so it also feels like when, when conservatives like Charlie Kirk talk about the trans issue, it almost sounds like they, they think that what's going on in a trans person's mind is that they don't know the difference between a penis and a vagina. Like, if they're, mm -hmm. if they're born with a penis, <laughs> they think, oh, well, that's a vagina. Like, that they, they literally don't know biologically how they were born. They, just, they literally don't understand biology or know anything about biology. All right? Mm-hmm. 
that's not what being trans means though. Like, yeah. If, if you, you know, if you identified as a woman and you thought you were born with a vagina, you wouldn't call yourself trans. Like you'd call yourself cis. Yeah. So it's not about confusion over biology. We're like, because it is academically interesting to look at gender as sociology and sex as biology, we explore them differently. All right. Because what constitutes gender, what creates gender is subjective in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is, you know, there, there's so many examples of things where you can look at and you can say, well, that's masculine, that's feminine. But that's fluid because things that used to be considered masculine could now be considered feminine and vice versa, which means that the spectrum between masculine and feminine are subjective because they change. That is why we talk about gender differently from sex. And the thing is, so many people yeah. have explained that. Probably people that have explained that directly to Charlie Kirk, that at this point, mm. he is either he either has the brain of a starfish or he's just willfully ignorant. Or using it to score cheap political crappy points. Or yes, Republicans or that are worried that <laughs> transgender people are gonna steal their money via inflation. Yeah, or he's a fucking charlatan. <laughs> And the last thing we want to talk about is an embarrassment of like a national scale, yeah, <laughs> which is the perfectly like ridiculous interrogation of Katanji Brown Jackson, Judge now Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, during her confirmation uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, as a reminder. Then Judge Katanzi Brown Jackson was imminently qualified to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. She was already on the U.S. or the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C., which is widely considered to be uh, one of the most important federal panels um, and and a regular uh, feeder court to the Supreme Court. She was supported by all fifty Democrats plus a number of Republicans. She clerked for Justice Breyer. Um, her background is as a public defender as a, and um, as a expert on federal sentencing policy. Um, and she's been endorsed by judges at multiple levels with many, like multiple political backgrounds and is like an excellent pick for the job. Yeah. And as we described, uh, like when we did our episode about Katanji Brown Jackson, which was, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, episode 112, um, that left Republicans with nothing to go after but grandstanding. <laughs> and so they did an awesome job of it while yeah. trying to score like these silly points. So, so not the least of which was trying to claim that she was somehow pro-terrorist because when she was a public defender, she defended detain detainees at uh, Guantanamo Bay. Didn't actually defend them, didn't actually meet them, just prepared documents um, that were used as part of their defense. Who, by the way, were placed there without due process in the first place. So yes, their incarceration that was, another was thing already unconstitutional. About. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things she was. They were mad about because when she made that point in a brief for her defendants, is that it was potentially crimes against humanity, potentially war crimes to like hold these people. 
um, they interpreted that as calling George Bush a war criminal, which like I think just got a little too close to the truth. Yeah. Well, what's funny <laughs> about a, that is when it was when it was clarified later, it wasn't that she called him a war criminal. It's that she was involved in a case that had an official filing declaring him a war criminal, which to me sounds like mm-hmm. that's something that if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to defend Bush, you maybe don't want to draw attention to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Um, and then very, very on brand for, you know, the things we've been talking about. Uh, Ted Cruz went after her about their favorite dog whistle topic, critical race theory, of course, <laughs> because if you're talking to an accomplished uh black female judge of course you have to make sure that she's not going to be too you know anti-racist um (laughs) and and so um so one of the things they called out was cruz called out that um she had referred to the thesis of the 1619 project which is a pulitzer prize winning project looking at u.s history um uh of of enslaving people um and she called that thesis provocative. How dare she? How dare she be? <laughs> Consider that thesis that thesis provocative. So Cruz specifically went after her because she is a board member at the Georgetown Day School. And he said, quote, if you look at the Georgetown Day School's curriculum, it's full and overflowing with critical race theory. And he was just like holding up these books and ranting, them out, ranting at them. No matter the fact that like, Ketanji Brown Jackson does not have a role in selecting the cur- curriculum. He specifically called out a book called Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram uh, X. Kendi. Just as a side note, this book is by a National Book Award winner for nonfiction, a Guggenheim Fellow, a MacArthur Fellow, and has received the Museum of Amer- African American History Living Legends Award. That You couldn't have picked a book authored by someone more you know you know a better author you know to to write a book it's it's like it's crazy and of course she had no role in picking this book she said quote i have not reviewed any of those books any of those ideas they don't come up in my work as a judge which respectfully i'm here to address <laughs> they which literally just threw tantrums for three did, days even if they fucking did yeah like, I see here that at one point you left a kind review on a Netflix documentary about anti-racism. Like, 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 what? What? Am yeah, I what here to believe that you're not a racist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? What? What interest could a black woman possibly have in something being anti-racist? Yeah. Exactly. And also, what relevance could that possibly have to her work as a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, where she's not deciding things about critical race theory? She may decide something about freedom of speech, which you should be in favor of. Yeah. So, so again, are y'all okay? Yeah. Like, you can talk to me. Seriously, you can talk to me. I'll listen to you. I'll listen to you, all right? If you you don't here here here. Let's let's do this. Just if it'll make you feel better. Um Michael, Michael, I want you to say let's go Brandon and I will pretend to be offended. If if that'll make him feel Wait, better. I don't know what that that means. 
it it's it's like a it's like code for fuck Joe Biden. I see. Okay. Yeah. So so if you, okay, you say yeah, let's great. you say let's go Brandon and I'll pretend to be offended. Let's go Brandon. <gasps> oh! All right. Now you can talk to us about all of the issues and we can together try to solve these problems that make you scared of people not being racist or scared of math or or scared of transgender people and scared of inflation. You know, the more I say this, the more I realize that like Tucker Carlson's talking about like the end of manhood and like the end of like bravery and chivalry and all this shit. And I'm like, well, these are the people that are terrified of everything, every shadow. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked because we do Tips for Good every week because I don't give a damn about my bad reputation. Mm -hmm. You're living in the past. It's a new generation. You know, I didn't know there was like a second. I knew there was a second line to that, but I didn't know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) I just always thought it was just... <laughs> well there we uh, go and well, I feel learning like, lyrics I f- well i feel really like there is. should be a third line maybe mm-hmm. it could go something like make the world a better place yeah that could work it doesn't yeah. we might have to add some syllables but yeah maybe a few yeah yeah, yeah oh we shit just sing that dude. every time dude that's what? that's that's what tips for good is about oh shit you did it again again well Fuck. i will stop asking <laughs> why we do tips for good so michael what is our tip for good this week our tip for good this week relates to our upcoming segment our second segment and it is um that it is to foster salary and pay transparency it's one of the strategies that can be used to help combat pay inequality um you know gender pay disparity as well as just inequality among your coworkers. And yep. so by being transparent, we empower each other to seek higher pay. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about your salary. Yeah. You know, you know how it's a huge stigma in the United States that you're not supposed to tell people how much you make. Yeah. You know why? Because employers don't want you to, because yeah. employers don't want you to know that the person sitting across the hall makes like 10 K more than you. Yeah. And if you ask for that 10K, you could make that too. Yeah. So in the spirit of that, um, as as a lecturer and and, in my own job, um, this year I am making uh, 54K a year. That's awesome. Yeah. And for me as a business manager for Capital One, I make 160 a year. (laughs) Holy fuck. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so so we actually <laughs> so we actually specifically we've been planning on doing this tips for good for a very long time and <laughs> we like we, we we put it off and put it off and put it off and i very specifically never asked michael how much he makes so that we could get my reaction to that full time holy shit i did not know that <laughs> <laughs> well i live in an expensive city yeah, but holy <laughs> damn, you're doing well. Congrats, bro. No, I sold out. <laughs> I sold out young and often. <laughs> yeah, 
And that's tips for good. <laughs> <laughs>So for our next segment, we are talking about the gender wage gap. Um, this is a segment like it's kind of evergreen because, yeah. I mean, looking at the numbers, it doesn't seem to be fucking going anywhere. <laughs> um, and But yeah. we wanted to talk about like what it is, what drives it, how to think about it and understand it. Yeah. What's interesting about the, the gender wage gap is that so... I feel like it's one of those cases in which both sides of the political aisle are really stupid when they talk about it. Hmm. Like, like, and here's what I mean by that. So, so if you look at what Democrats often say, and I'm and again, I'm not necessarily saying like leftist, I'm saying Democrats, like hmm. usually specifically elected Democrats. The argument is usually, well, look, Women are paid 77 cents on the dollar and we should pass legislation in order to prevent, to prevent that because yeah. it's, because it's sexist and yes, true, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get back to that in a second. And then on the right, it's the gender wage gap is a total myth. Yeah. So when you see two sides that are like, that are, that have exponentially different views, you want to make sure that you go in and look at what the actual facts are. And what the actual facts show, and this is why I wanted to differentiate Democrat from leftist here, is that the truth is that it's more complicated. And the truth in a lot of ways is actually more leftist than just like, you know, than, than just yeah. meticulous sexism. Yeah. Now, that is a part of it. That is absolutely a part of it. But there's also institutional ways in which sexism is prevalent which creates the gender pay gap. Yep. So so to, to, to say that there's there's a bunch of employers out there that are meticulously thinking, oh, I am hiring a woman. I am going to pay her 77 cents on the dollar of men. <laughs> like that, that's, that's yeah. not what's happening. Yeah. All right. But that doesn't need to be what's happening for it to be a problem. Exactly. That doesn't need to be what's happening in order for it to be a problem. And in order for us to discuss the solutions. So sure. I feel like, you know, one of my favorite speech structures, I think that we should kind of go through this in sort of a problem cause solution, because I think we need to prove that this is a problem. Yeah. Right. So prove the numbers, understand what are the reasons behind it, and then discuss what are some of the ways that we can solve that. Yeah. So to start off, one of the simplest, although I don't mean to say easy to measure, um, measures of this phenomenon is, to, as Nathan's referenced, the difference in the average or the median income for working women versus working men. Yeah. So one, one study from the International Labor Organization estimates that internationally, women are paid about 20 cents per dollar less than, uh, than men. According to that same study, the U.S. falls pretty much in the middle of the distribution, paying about 20 to 25% less than they do to women than they do to men. Um, and according to a, a different analysis on Census Bureau data from AmericanProgress.org, um, women across uh, races earn on average 82 cents for every dollar earned by a man. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what's interesting is that depending on where you look at, those numbers can be different based on the methodology. Exactly. Um, and also, in some cases, the number, like when you look at specific data, it can also be, it can also be sort of different. So, so, um, so Pew Research Center uh, in, in 2000, it, it, measuring the data from 2020, uh, they came up with the number that um, women earn 84% of what men earn. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also pointed out that there's a little bit of a different number when it comes to the U.S. Census Bureau. Not a, not a huge not a huge difference, but the U.S. Census Bureau says that um, that number is eighty two percent. Now, the mm-hmm. reason why there's a little bit of a difference comes down to methodology. So, the way that the way that Pew Research Center uh, is measuring it is based off of hourly earnings. Mm-hmm. All right, the way that the U.S. Bureau or the U.S. Census Bureau is measuring it is based on weekly earnings, which means mm. that they're mainly focusing on full-time workers, all right? Yep. Whereas Pew is focusing on both full-time and part-time workers. Yep. Now, w- one thing that's I, that I thought was actually super interesting was that when you're looking at just part-time workers, all right, just part-time workers, women working part-time actually earn 104% as much as men who work part-time, all right? And at the extreme end of it, women who work five to nine hours a week earn uh, 119% as much as men who work those same hours. Hmm. Now, it so is what you're also, saying is there's a war on men. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that if I were a right-winger, I mm-hmm. would cherry-pick the fuck out of that. Yeah, for sure. Now, to be clear, the reason why that's happening is because the you know it's because of the demographics of the people that are working. So, women who are working part time tend to be older, right? Yeah. Which means yeah. that they've had more experience in the field. Which means, of course, they're going to get they're going to end up getting paid more. Um, but for the most part, when you look at things in the aggregate, in terms of um, in terms of how much women are paid versus men. Yeah. Um, which I think, I think the better number is the way that Pew did it, which is looking at it based on hourly earnings. Um, women earn uh, 84% of what men earn. Yeah. In the aggregate. Yeah. The interesting thing that when you compare those two numbers though, <clears throat> is that, so to clarify for the hourly earnings, is that earnings per hour? Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting because um, w- like one of the reasons why women might make less on a weekly basis than they do on a per hour basis is because of systematic, like fewer hours of work because of yeah. other demands on their time, which we can talk yeah. about when we get to the cause section. But it's interesting that even when you're comparing just the methodologies of two numbers, both showing the gap, you start to see some of the nuance. To your point, there's demographic reasons, there's like societal and structural reasons, and you start to see the nuance that's driving, yeah. um, that's driving this issue. And it's and, and and there's also some demographic differences as well. For example, if you're looking at all workers, which when we're saying all workers, we're talking about specifically ages 18 and older. Mm-hmm. All right, 
When you're looking at all of them, then the number is 84. But if you only look at women between the ages of 25 and 34, mm -hmm. so our age group, it's 93 cents. Wow. So they're actually, women within our age group are mm -hmm. actually, it's it's a lot closer to, to, to equal. Which is so interesting. And again, it makes sense when you think about the relationship, now that you say that, the relationship between the results of the analysis and the causes. One of yeah. the main causes is that at some point, most women who have a career will leave their career for a period of time to be the primary caregivers for children. Yeah. For people that are younger, like us, they're less likely to have kids and less likely to have already taken that time away from work. And so you might, and so like, I would, I, I haven't seen a longitudinal study, but I would hypothesize that those women, should they choose to have children, will then normalize to that lower rate of earn t closer towards the 80 cents. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also, um, and, and I guess we're starting to get into the cause section yeah. here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, <laughs> no, the no. more you describe the statistics, like the yeah. more the, the picture well, the more, starts to The more out. the causes start to make more sense. Now, uh, if you look at a lot of, a lot of, right-wing activists, they would look at that and say, well, look at all these complex numbers. It's oversimplified. Therefore, it's all it's all a myth yeah. because the causes are not that, you know, that meticulous guy behind a curtain who is purposely trying to pay women less. The causes are other factors. So let's look at the actual factors and kind of discuss like how how they might be present. So to Michael's point, um, there is a, a large portion of women that at some point are either going to leave the workforce or potentially delay or, or put their progression into the workforce on hold in order to become the primary caregiver of children. So, for example, um, according to Pew Research Center, uh, women are more likely to turn down promotions hmm. because they're balancing their, their work-life balance uh, with, with parenting than men are. So they're more likely to turn down promotions in the first place. Um, women are more likely to potentially cut down on hours. Women are also more likely to focus on other benefits besides just salary Mm -hmm. When it comes to when it comes to negotiating workers' contracts, women are, women are more likely to um to ask for a reduction in their work hours. Yeah, uh, women are more likely to say that um they can't they felt like they couldn't give one hundred percent at work yeah. because of because of parenthood, um and they're also more likely to be treated as if there weren't. They're, they aren't as committed to their work. So th think about kind of the mentality of an employer, all right? Because of the implicit bias, the primary caregiver of a child is going to be the mother. Yeah. If, you know, say you're an employer and you know that someone is an expecting mother, you don't give them the promotion because you think, oh, well, why would you give them the promotion? They're going to need the time for their kid. But say a man, you know that they're expecting. You're like, well, fuck, we got to give him the promotion. He's expecting. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there is a documented like salary and promotion penalty for women after giving birth. After giving birth, women's pay lags behind the pay of similarly educated and experienced men end of women without children. 
and there is no fatherhood penalty that's assessed to men. And another important point to that, and th this I thought was really interesting, the median length of leave among mothers after the birth or adoption of their child is 11 weeks compared to one week for fathers. Mm -hmm. 11 weeks versus one week. Yeah. And keep in mind, even, even if we are taking into account the fact that we're, if, if we are specifically measuring uh, the gender pay gap in the context of hours, you know, you might think, well, if they're taking off, then that doesn't, then that's already been, uh, I mean, th th that's already been taken into account. But keep in mind, the more time you take off, the more likely you're, the less likely you are to progress through your job, which sure. means the less likely you are to be able to earn more because you've taken more time off. Yeah, exactly. And so like, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the problems related to that is the lack of like paid family and medical leave. Yeah. Which access to paid family and medical leave, like, uh, leads to more women returning to work and returning to work actually sooner, but only in 2019, only 19% of us workers had access to paid leave through their employers. Yeah. The, the other thing to your point about hours, Nathan, is like, <clears throat> I think it's so common for us to be like, well, you know, if you want to you know, bootstrap, you know, if you want to work, if you want to, you know, progress in your job, you got to work hard and and just uh, dedicate yourself and all that stuff. But to your point, like <clears throat> women are the primary caregivers, which leads them to like sometimes accept work that has more flexible hours or part time hours or, um, you know, and and and. Like, like and accept that work at rates higher than than men accept that work. Yeah. And the reason is because outside of the labor market, women who are mothers and and all people who are mothers are charged a time penalty. Among married full-time working parents of children under the age 18, women spend 50% more time than men engaging in care activities within the home. Yeah. Among child rearing couples that include a woman either working part time or staying at home to parent, the burden of caring for family members is even more disproportionately borne by the women. Yeah. Yeah. So how could they fully like how could they dedicate themselves to their job at the same rate as men when they're also dedicating themselves to like caring for the children much more than a man? Yeah. Yeah. And also I mean, we, we've been talking about some of the more institutional ways in yeah. which in which there's sexism, but it is also important to discuss the interpersonal ways in which sexism exists in the workplace. Oh my gosh! So, yeah. so again, according to Pew Research, um, in terms of in terms of within specific workplaces, uh, twenty five percent of women have said that they have earned less than a man doing the same job, mm -hmm. versus five percent of men who say who say that about women. Um, 23% of women have said that they were treated as if they were not competent at work versus 6% of men. 16% uh, mm. said that they've experienced uh, repeated small slights at work yeah. versus 5% of men. Yeah. So there are yeah. a lot of ways in which that can affect <clears throat> a woman's work. The perception yeah. of being less competent, the, it, the slights at work, and also... The overall idea of treating work as a boys club. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, a lot of a lot of this comes down to the fact that 
there are traditionally higher paying jobs that are dominated by men. And because women coming into the workforce at similar levels to men is something that is new to the last like 50 years. Yep. Of course, there's going to be a pay difference. Of course, there are going to be jobs that are lower paying that are going to be dominated by women and jobs that are higher paying that are dominated by men. Yeah. Because they just haven't been in the workforce as long. Yeah. And 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 that is a problem that we have to solve. Like, the, yeah. the fact that there are these male-dominated industries that, like, artificially suppress the accomplishments and the recognition and and therefore the pay of women is a huge problem. So, like, women are surpassing men in most regions as in, like, ter- in terms of graduation and education. Yeah. They're, and they're advancing into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, like STEM fields, um, more and more. But yeah. nevertheless, women still lag behind men in STEM areas that are associated with higher-paying jobs, yeah. even when women are qualified in the subjects. Yeah. Because it's these traditionally, you know, engineering, software development, traditionally male-dominated fields, and women just are not hired as much or for as high-paying jobs as men. Yeah. So how can we solve this? Well, it's important to look at the cause. Well, we've looked at the causes. Um, So the solutions should be specific to those causes. You can't Mm -hmm. just, you can't pass a blanket law that says thou shalt not be sexist at work and expect that to solve the problem. I mean, go ahead and pass that law, you know, but like you got to go farther than that. First off, if one of the major causes is the fact that we expect women to be primary caregivers and also that because women take time off of work, they lose their, they might lose their place in a job mm-hmm. paid maternal leave and yeah. paid paternal leave Yep, because a huge part of that is going to be trying to create not just an economic shift, but a social shift away from only viewing the woman as being the primary caregiver. Yep. All right. Seeing both, you know, both mothers and fathers and, and, you know, traditionally, Uh, heterosexual relationships as being equal parts caregiver, Mm -hmm. which means that you got to give that that part of addressing the gender pay gap is going to be paid maternal leave and paid paternal leave. So that's a huge part of it. Another solution. uh, We talked about how oftentimes women are more likely to um, take pay cuts for the sake of certain benefits. Well, those benefits should be taken off the table have a Medicare for all system so they don't have to negotiate for health care. All right. Mm-hmm. So it can focus on wages. All right. Um, also, also stronger unions. Yeah. All right. Make sure that everybody has the ability to join a union. That way they don't have to negotiate that. Yeah. The union negotiates that. Yeah. So unions are a huge part of addressing the gender pay gap. Yeah. Another, another huge, uh, part of addressing the gap is removing the history of that gap for women as you hire them. So yeah. many jobs place the salary at some point relative to the last salary the applicant had, right? Within the range, yeah. they'll want to like beat the last salary, but not by too much. Yeah. But if there's a systematic history of, of this individual female candidate having been, you know, having had her wages depressed by this gap, 
they will offer her a systematically lower amount. So they, you know, you have to be offering male and female applicants similar amounts based on their role, not based on their previous position and previous pay. Also, universal pre-K. I mean, yeah, that's huge. take uh, because because we often do see women becoming the primary caregivers of children, mm-hmm. or at least there's this expectation of that. I mean, Michael and I have t- actually talked about this before about how. Uh, in a lot of ways, the fact that we don't offer um, universal pre-K is basically, or universal childcare and universal pre-K is basically us robbing a lot of money yeah. from parents yep. and exo- and trying to get a ton of free labor mm-hmm. from parents, yep. which they could be using at a job. Yeah. So, if you another way of addressing the the gender pay gap. Is of course universal pre-K, universal childcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important as we think about solutions to recognize that this would be what better for all of us. Closing yeah, this gap absolutely. would drive trillions of dollars of GDP growth because, like, we talk about it as like cents per dollar made by a man, but like, you know, based on the 2018 average, right? If we were to close that gap over a 40 year career, that would, that would yield $400,000 on average more being paid to women um, than there, than there is today. And for Hispanic and Latino women who are paid at the lowest ratio to men, it would be another $1.1 million over their career on average, just by closing that gap. Yeah. It could be so, trillions of dollars for our economy. And and the last thing I want to say, I just I found this and like it it actually blew my mind a little bit. Cause one of the most common things we hear is like, well, you know, when we talked about this, this the, all of these causes and like the claim that like, well, like women make different choices mm. with their lives. And because of those choices, it's really on them to close this gap. Right. It's really if they wanted to close the gap, you know, they wouldn't make these choices. And, you know, aside from the fact that that totally ignores that women are under a tremendous amount of socio sociological structural pressure to make these choices. Um, and like we all benefit when they do like we're currently to names when we're currently benefiting from the fact that like children have, you know, direct great primary caregivers but the thing is like that leads to this disparity like yielding really different results based on how much money these women are making as well because many of the things we called out are about career growth and career progress and so like the claim that if women just did like reach the same level of jobs they would get paid the same amount is factually false. So there's actually much greater parity at the lower end of the wage distribution. So among people that that are in the bottom 10th percentile of earners, women make 92 cents on the male dollar. But for women in the 95th percentile, they make 74 cents on the male dollar. So when you compare people who have achieved similar levels of success, it gets worse as women succeed. So 
right wingers that say that the gender pay gap is just a myth are just wrong. And Democrats who say, well, if only we just passed a don't be sexist act, we could get rid of the problem are also bullshitting you. Yeah. Stop grandstanding, stop virtue signaling, propose actual solutions yeah. and close the goddamn gap. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Asshat of the Week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? Well, Michael, our asshat this week, I I could not be more excited to introduce uh, GOP Congressman Madison Cawthorn. Maddie Cow, come on down. <laughs> Mad Cow. <laughs> <laughs> so what did Mad Cow do to get on our show? Well, um, so... There's there's important context that needs to be given when it comes to discussing why exactly he is on our show. So it recently came to light that there, so the, there were pictures of him dressed up in lingerie. Now, me as a progressive who believes that anybody should be able to dress however they want and act as feminine as they want, regardless of whether they have a penis or not. Mm-hmm. Like, me as someone who believes that, I look at these pictures and I say, damn, you look pretty good in that, actually. <laughs> like, you, you, you rock that shit, you know? But here's the thing. This guy has been viciously, viciously anti-trans. Mm-hmm. All right? So he, he, actually, he actually gave a, a speech on the floor of Congress. And this was the, after the Katanji Brown-Jackson uh, uh, nomination and, mm-hmm. and, and hearing. Um, he said, quote, uh, your left-wing movement is forcing children into uh, to endure radical expressions of sexuality, and yet you can't define what a woman is. You can amend a bill, but you never amend biology. Science is not Burger King. You can't just have it your way. <laughs> well, apparently you can. like like the the point that i'm trying to make is that medicine cawthorn has been pushing this idea of this hyper masculine version of men he's been viciously anti-trans and here he is dressing dressing in lingerie yeah and and experiencing the backlash and experiencing the backlash so the point is we are not shaming him for cross-dressing like Mm. i said he looks pretty good in it. I mean, you know, power and to even you. if he didn't, you know, we even if he did body shame. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Even if, even if he didn't, you know, it's not my thing. I wouldn't wear lingerie. I mean, unless it was for a part in a play or a Rocky horror picture show thing. <laughs> Nathan's or, like, please give me an audition for Rocky horror picture show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, a, or maybe a Halloween. Co- okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's maybe, a maybe long there, list. Okay. Maybe there's a long <laughs> list of, of reasons why I would, but the point is, Payback's a bitch. <laughs> Payback's a bitch. I mean, I mean, look the 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 progressive version of the, the the progressive vision of America is one where you can just do this and no one gives a shit. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't give a shit. All right, but if you are going to continue to to like pretend that 
any time a man shows a little bit of, of femininity or empathy, or if a man is feeling a little bit feminine, or if someone who was born with a penis decides to identify as a woman, if you're going to be vicious about that, you can expect some fucking backlash when the, the hate that you, dr- that you drummed up comes back to bite you in the ass. All right. And what's funny is he is trying to, he's trying to make it sound like uh, the left is just, um, is trying to attack him because I don't know, I guess because they think it's unprofessional or whatever. Like, like he, he tweeted, he said, quote, I guess the left thinks that goofy vacation photos during a game on a cruise taken way before I ran for Congress is somehow going to hurt me. They're running out of things to throw at me. No, we're not throwing that at you. You're throwing that at you. All right. <laughs> so congratulations to Mad Cow for being our <laughs> asshat Ass of, the, of week. the week. So we have spent a fair amount of time on this show talking about things that loosely fall under the umbrella of culture war issues. Yeah. You know, it, we've we've been talking about, you know, the Florida don't say gay bill, their uh the general, you know, conservative backlash against the myth of critical race theory in schools which got the new governor of Virginia elected basically by itself. Yeah. Um we've we've talked about a lot of these issues and we spent a fair amount of time saying why the Republican positions are wrong, advocating for, you know, the rights of the people that are being hurt by this. Um, and that's important, yeah. right? Because these people are under attack. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's like you can't pretend like there's no hostage in yeah. a hostage negotiation. Yeah. The problem is, though, that typically the people that have the hostage don't care about the hostage. Yeah. They care about getting away with the money from the bank or the ransom. Yeah. And that's pretty much the situation we're in right now. Yeah. So one of the things that Michael and I very frequently talk about is that the culture war is a distraction. And I feel like there's a lot of ways in which people can misinterpret that. Like if you hear us say the culture war is a distraction and you hear, well, that means that we should stop fighting for LGBTQ equality or for, um, or to, to, to end police violence or, um, stop fighting against all of the discrimination, uh, against, uh, against women in terms of equal pay for equal work and all of that. Like that must mean that, that, that you shouldn't care about that. And that's kind of where it all gets complicated because on one hand, it's a distraction because Republicans don't actually care about it. Or I should say elected Republicans don't actually care about it. Yeah. All right. The, the business Republicans like, like Mitch McConnell, like, um, fucking, uh, like Mitt Romney. Like I would even argue to, to an extent, I don't think that Ron DeSantis cares about this shit either. Mm-hmm. All right. But there's a lot of fear 
that they know how to stoke up in their base. Yeah. All right. To Michael's point, um, Glenn Youngkin, current governor of Virginia, he got elected purely because of CRT. All right. He had no fucking platform. We went over it. He had a first day like agenda. And, and it that included was it. just get CRT out of schools. Exactly. <laughs> like, like Which that he was accomplished it. before entering office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but that's the point. Glenn Youngkin doesn't care about CRT. He doesn't care about any of these social issues. He's a business Republican. He cares about making sure that rich people get tax cuts. He cares about making sure that poor people don't get benefits. He cares about making sure that we we cut Social Security, we cut Medicare, or in this case, since he's governor of Virginia, that we cut Medicaid. He cares about making sure that poor people don't see any benefit from economic growth and that all of that goes to rich people that's mm. what they care about because that's who that's who funds their campaigns yeah all right and if you that's, can convince the poor that economic growth like that like like the government can't help them because they yeah. see no benefits from the government then you can tell them that everything else that you know takes precedence over that you know that they're throwing good money after bad when they try to help yeah but the problem is we can't just ignore it. Yeah. Because despite the fact that Republicans who or I, I would I would say most elected Republicans, you know, I'd say that there are some true believers, you know, Jewish space lasers comes to mind. Yeah. But most elected Republicans do not care about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. But we do. Yeah. And that's what makes it kind of that's a what gives them the power. That's what gives them the power. That's what gives it the disadvantage. Like, like Mitch McConnell, Ron DeSantis, they don't care about gay people at all. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really don't. But they know that if they do something super anti-gay, that it's going to cause a fight between their base and us as leftists. And when we're talking about you should not discriminate against gay people you shouldn't discriminate against gay children or gay teachers when we're talking about that when that's conversation we're not talking about the fact that um the fact that wages have been stagnant for the last two decades mm-hmm. we're not talking about the fact that union crackdown is at an all-time high with all these corporations in some cases to an illegal degree yeah we're not talking about the fact that almost 30,000 people die every year because of lack of access to healthcare because of affordability. We're not talking about the fact that for the price of the increase of the military budget, we could fund all, all free college, all right? For just the price of the increase. We're not talking about the fact that our infrastructure is crumbling. We're not talking about the fact that that poor people are legitimately hurting because they're working long hours for low wages and they're desperate. We're not talking about all of those facts. We're not talking about the fact that the solutions are all fairly simple because we're focused on this issue. Yeah. And what's hard is that 
we care about the hostage. Yeah. And so we can't yeah. just ignore it. And and what's also hard is yeah, we're trying to, we're out there trying to save the hostage. And the thing is it's as if the hostage is like someone hated by not the robbers, but like the people in the crowd. Yeah. We're trying to save the hostage and and the the Republican base, not all, but many of them are actually trying to go after the hostage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so strange because to your point, like, you know, me- most Democrats and Republicans, with the exception of like people at the really extreme ends, um, agree on a ton of shit. Yeah. Like, like if you think about their base, like, fuck. I mean, Trump was essentially an anti-elite populist. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like they... They commonly or at least he grandstanded as one. Or as he, yeah, he pretended as one. He ran on being as one, being one. Um, but they commonly recognize the problems of elitism, like mega wealthy people, privilege yeah. running their like like those people running their lives, like big corporations running their lives. They commonly recognize like that corruption has to be like rooted out of our politics, and they are yeah. like, both pushing for a time when like the voter has the most influence. Yeah. And like they like, you know, it's it's pretty popular that we get troops out of like international conflicts that don't seem yeah. to be going anywhere. It's like pretty popular that we avoid the government spying on people without a warrant and without due process. It's like these are all things that are pretty popular. Like being against yeah. monopolization is pretty popular. Yeah. And yet the culture war BS is enough to distract from all that. Yeah. I mean, using Florida as an example, Trump won Florida pretty decisively. You know what else won Florida pretty decisively in the exact same election? Pot. <laughs> no. Wasn't it? Not Florida. No. Oh, shit. That was... You're thinking of Montana. I was thinking of Montana. Yeah. Montana, though, but but that's another example. Like like in Florida, the minimum wage increasing the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour won even more decisively in Florida in the same election that Trump carried it. Yeah, which means that there are a significant amount of Trump voters that also voted to increase the minimum wage. So they agree on that. Yeah. They might be they might be anti-gay, but they agree with raising the minimum wage. Montana, again, decisively, Trump won Montana. Yeah. But we also legalized marijuana in Montana through a direct, or through another direct ballot initiative. Yeah. And marijuana got more votes than, than Trump did yeah. in Montana. And that's so, and, yeah. And the thing is, like, it's also like it's not the Republican base that's making it a political issue. Yeah. It's the like politicians lead and and commentators leading stoking the fears of these issues with the base yeah. to draw their votes yeah and and i should even say like when i said earlier you might have florida voters that don't like gay people or like what's interesting is it's not even necessarily that i think that a significant portion of them just don't like gay people they're just being told lies by people that they trust yeah. that there are gay yeah. people in schools that are trying to groom your children. Yeah. And like, which if it were true would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it were true that there were gay teachers 
in school or straight that were teachers to, or straight teachers any teachers that were grooming that were sexually grooming children that would be terrible and you'd want to do something about it but it's not fucking happening yeah yeah but every breath we spend arguing against that just lends more credibility to it it just lends more uh you know time away from arguing on these more important real problems that we actually agree on yeah. much of the time but unfortunately there's no way to not yeah fight the culture war yeah so i guess one of the things that i want to make clear on this podcast is that we are going to continue to talk about these cultural issues especially when they're impacting people through a significant policy degree. But while we do that, we do have to acknowledge that we are kind of falling into their trap. And again, we have to fall into their trap. Yeah. That's because, like what a good trap is. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what a good that's what a good trap is. We have to fall into that trap because we're the good guys. All right. We can't just abandon people. So I, I honestly, I don't even, I don't even know if there's really much of a solution. This is just sort of a discussion about how much it really sucks, yeah. you know? Alrighty. And now we will end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Well, Michael, my highlight this week is that uh, I got my CT scan results, mm -hmm. and they were clear, which means that I, I, I still need to get blood work done before I can definitively say that I am completely cancer-free, but I can at least say that based on those results, I am very likely cancer-free at this point, so... That is just awesome. feeling feeling generally good about that. You know, wasn't a huge fan of the whole cancer thing. Mm. Um, zero out of ten would not. not recommend. Yeah, zero out of ten wouldn't recommend. You know, uh, zero stars on Yelp or one star. <laughs> How can you do zero stars or does it one star? I don't know. I've never done a Yelp review. I'm I've never a done a Yelp moocher. <laughs> a free rider. Yeah. So you know. So my highlight is being very likely cancer free. Ah, um, I think that's my highlight too. <laughs> I appreciate very that. likely cancer free that is <laughs> just the best news I appreciate that and so with that we'd like to thank our amazing patrons Tobias Janssen Fade Out Scoop Kyle Chaska Taylor Bloom and Jerry DeViller and for the listener thank you so much for listening to the Perspectrum and you'll hear from us again next week <laughs>